Hey everyone, welcome back to the Washington Reporter Podcast. I'm here live with Ernie Veritimos. Ernie, how's it going? It's a beautiful day in the neighborhood. Yeah, I'll tell you what, we've got a lot to talk about. I thought it was going to be a, uh, a boring Thursday. I was working on an article on the alliance between Iran and Turkey this morning, and then the news broke that Trump had pulled out of the summit. So uh, it's sure to be a busy podcast with lots to talk about uh, with the latest North Korea developments. We've got developments on Spygate. Uh, we've got some fun stories and uh, some Bitcoin updates for everybody. So this is going to be a podcast that you really can't afford to miss. We're live on Periscope right now. We are, uh, we're everywhere. Make sure to subscribe. Make sure to bring people in. Uh, I guess we'll jump right into it. So, of course, the breaking news is that uh, the United States is out of the summit. It's not happening. In fact, the White House just corrected and said there's no chance it's going to happen on June 12th, period. They're not going to have enough time to prepare. Uh, we learned this morning that they were set to have meetings to prepare for the summit, and Kim Jong-un's people just didn't show up. Uh, that's new. We didn't know that. Mike Pompeo said that to the uh, Senate this morning. And, you know, really, we've We've learned a lot about this, but I guess the place to start just to get everybody up to speed would be, I'm going to play a clip here. This is President Trump's statement. This is Mike Pompeo reading it to the Senate earlier this morning. The president asked that I, I begin this hearing today by reading a letter that uh, the State Department recently transmitted to Chairman Kim and North Korea. The letter is to uh, Chairman Kim Jong-un, Chairman of the State Affairs Commission of the Democratic People's Republic of Korea. And it reads as follows, Dear Mr. Chairman, we greatly appreciate your time, patience, and effort with respect to our recent negotiations and discussions relative to a summit long sought by both parties, which was scheduled to take place on June 12th in Singapore. We are informed that the meeting was requested by North Korea, but that to us is totally irrelevant. I was very much looking forward to being there with you. Sadly, based on the tremendous anger and open hostility displayed in your most recent statement, I feel it is appropriate at this time <clears throat> to have this long-planned meeting, or inappropriate, excuse me. I feel it is inappropriate at this time to have this long-planned meeting. Therefore, please let this letter serve to represent that the Singapore summit, for the good of both parties, but to the detriment of the world, will not take place. You talk about your nuclear capabilities, but ours are so massive and powerful that I pray to God they will never have to be used. Now, that's a good line. I'll tell you what, yeah. that's, that's just classic Trump, is it not? I mean, that's just 100%. This letter is 100% Trump. Well, yeah, I heard that uh, he actually dictated this. Yeah. And, uh, if you know, now, now if he wrote it, there would have been some uh, grammatical errors for sure. But uh, there was, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it's, it is perfect grammar in here. Right, right. He definitely, you know. No spelling mistakes. Typing it and he, he uh, read it off and said what he wanted. This, this is... So he, he, I'll, I'll play the rest of this. We'll get back into it. A wonderful dialogue was building up between you and me, and ultimately is only that dialogue that matters. No, he did write it. You and me instead of you and I. Yeah, he did, he did write it. Someday, I look very much forward to meeting you. In the meantime, I want to thank you for the release of the hostages who are now home with their families. That was a beautiful gesture and was very much appreciated. If you change your mind having to do with this important summit, please do not hesitate to call me or write. The world, and North Korea in particular, has lost a great opportunity for lasting peace and great prosperity and wealth. This missed opportunity is a truly sad moment in history. Sincerely yours, Donald J. Trump, President of the United States of America. So there's the letter. 
you know, I think one of the big questions is going to be who actually pulled out. But I think it's great that Trump wrote this letter and is going to get the credit for pulling out. But really, North Korea effectively pulled out last night when they released a statement saying the United States is about to face an appalling tragedy, the likes of which they could have never imagined for their crimes against the DPRK. What I'm wondering is, who do you think dictated that statement? Do you think it was a Chinese job, or do you think that was just Kim's own way of pulling out? What do you think, Ernie? Well, I, I heard that um, after each of interaction that they had with North Korea, that they then had some kind of interaction with China. And then after that, there was always some kind of um, aggressive statement that they would put out. So I have to, I have to assume that you know, they're, they're trying to placate China uh, a- after those meetings. Right, right. And, you know, I think one of the big things is, as we've talked about on this podcast for, I don't know, weeks now, um, the demand from Trump was, you're going to turn over five nukes to France, or the summit's off. And he gave him till the 25th to do it. Uh, we're coming up on the 25th here. And basically, the idea is, this is a denuclearization talk. You know, we're not there to talk about what Kim's favorite... Uh, flavor of tea is we're there to denuclearize and if they're not willing to give up five nukes what makes us think they're willing to give up 90 nukes which is approximately how large their their arsenal is according to most of the sources that i've seen so that was the idea and kim i mean it makes sense to me from a negotiating standpoint this almost seems like negotiations 101 because you know if you go to a house you want to buy a house and it costs 500 grand and you show up with a bag of money with 500 grand in it there's no chance you're going to get that house for 475. So Kim wanted to see what happens if he offers less. And I think that is maybe not a bad faith negotiating tactic. So what did he do? He gave up nothing. Okay, we can talk about the hostages. He never should have had those hostages in the first place. So I don't really count that as a great concession. You can talk about destroying the nuclear test site. He blew up the entrances on a site that was collapsing anyway, according to most accounts. And then the last thing is, you can talk about his recent suspension of tests. Well, that, those tests were already banned under the Nuclear Test Ban Treaty, so that wasn't really a big concession. Nor did we ask for any of that. What we asked for, we said, we'll front load, we'll agree to a summit, we will agree to massive economic relief and massive economic development, but only if you denuclearize, only if you front load as well. And they wanted to see what happens if they didn't do that, and now they found out. In exchange for their attempt, their offer, what they got was a summit canceled. They're going to get a new round of sanctions. China's banks are going to get hit. I reported on that yesterday. They've got a list of uh, 13 or 14 bankers that are going to be sanctioned with travel bans, asset freezes. And the word is, I'm hearing, that Trump may even take out one of the Chinese banks. Uh, He may do so... Uh, by basically cutting them off from SWIFT. Essentially, they won't be able to do any of the things they need to do, trading. No no bank transfers. Just so people know, SWIFT is a way to do uh, international transfers of money. Right, and even a lot of domestic transfers go through the SWIFT system in one way or another. So you talk about a wire transfer. You talk about them needing to send money from one bank to another. Um, it, it would essentially put a bank out of business without going too far into the weeds of how SWIFT works and how that system works. But it's just like flipping a switch and telling a bank, you can't do what makes you a bank. And so it essentially will shutter that bank. I don't know why they call it SWIFT, Jacob. You know, SWIFT has been around for about 50 years and a simple bank transfer, it takes like two days. 
Yeah, yeah. I think you could walk faster than Swift goes. I agree. <laughs> I agree. It's not it's not the best system at all, but um, it would put Chinese banks out of business. It would make China feel the pain. Yes. It would make China go in there and say, "Hey, you need to get your act in order. This this isn't this isn't going to work out." Um, you know, because when you take out a Chinese bank, you're taking out a state-owned institution. I mean, these aren't these aren't private banks. Even if they were, I think China would sort of semi look at that as kind of an act of economic war. But these are state-owned banks. The, 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 the government owns these banks. And I think particularly putting pressure on the executives of these banks is going to motivate China uh, to really start to put the pressure on Kim Jong-un. And in fact, Trump's statement earlier today, he said uh, he spoke to China and they're willing to front a lot of costs that's going to come with imposing some sanctions. The one thing that we haven't talked about in a long time with respect to North Korea that I wonder if it comes into play here, and I, I haven't gotten a lot of reporting on it, my sources haven't said much about it, but I wonder about it, is what about a naval blockade? That is something I wonder about, where they do these at-sea transfers of coal and oil, ship-to-ship right. transfers. What if you just put a couple of torpedoes through those ships, I wonder? Uh, well, I thought China was um, uh, halting those transfers of coal to North Korea. Did they resume that? Well, they did halt them. I believe we were first reported on that in February. But what North Korea has been doing is they'll get a Russian ship. Russian ship goes out to sea. Um, you know, they go from uh, Vladivostok, which is that port that's near North Korea. They go out to sea with a big ship that's full of coal. They pull up a North Korean ship next to it, and they lift the coal. Obviously, they're spilling crap over the side. It's, it's very bad, you know, if you're an environmentalist to have that kind of stuff going on. I think a big ocean. It's probably bad even if you're not an environmentalist. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's probably a bad idea, period. But I wonder, you know, do we start taking out those ships and cutting off the coal? Because that would really bring the pain down on North Korea. Nobody that I talk to and no reporting that I can see really does indicate how crippled North, North Korea's economy really is. But the funny thing about North Korea is unlike Iran, it's one of those situations where you actually can make the regime feel the pain without driving the people that crazy because the way it works in North Korea, as I understand it, is the regime sort of has their own enterprises, which are, you know, sort of virtual organized crime enterprises. They, they raid Bitcoin exchanges and hack. Uh, they hack things. Uh, they do uh, drug trafficking. They do counterfeiting. They do arms trafficking. That's how the regime sort of stays in business. And then the people are sort of left like, okay, they get their third rate housing from the government, but they don't have food. So they've got their own kind of black market economy. So the real question is, you actually can sort of let the people persist. Now, they're going to starve either way because it's not a developed black market economy. I heard that they actually eat dirt. They do. They eat dirt. They eat grass. It's very common. They'll eat. Uh, they get so hungry sometimes they'll eat, you know, leather uh, boots. A lot of times soldiers will eat their boots. Um, they'll cook <laughs> them up. It's Jeez. something, I guess. It's horrific, but... Um, you can really make the regime feel the pain, but I don't really know that it can get any worse for the Korean people. You know, it, can, can it get worse than you're eating your own boots? I, I don't know. Um, so they're getting ready to really crack down on China and really crack down on North Korea here to bring them back to the table. I don't think that Trump is in any rush. I, I think this might last for two or three months, economic pressure. I think the big question, the big unknown is how does Kim react? Does Kim start doing rocket tests again? Does he start doing nuclear tests at another site? Does he do an atmospheric nuclear test? Remember he was talking about that? 
He's going to do yep. an atmospheric nuclear test. These are all big questions. And I well, really want you know, for me, though, the, the, the big thing was the reaction, you know, the, the reaction from the left. And, and it was wide and varied. But, you know, people like Nancy Pelosi first came out and just wanted to jump all over this. And the interesting part of her comments, I don't have it right in front of me. I read it earlier that she appeared to actually take the side of Kim over our president. Oh, yeah. Oh, they love Kim. Are you I mean. They, I mean, I was watching the left, left-wing Twitter today. Our president got played for a fool by Kim. It's, it's like, but, but it was there was a stark contrast between Pelosi and Schumer, though. Now, now Schumer made it sound as if, look, we're playing from a, a position of strength, which I was very surprised. I, I was really surprised to hear him say that. Right, right, because Schumer is a just as two-faced as Pelosi, generally speaking. I mean, Schumer's a guy who said the Iran deal was a disaster. Trump pulled out of it. And he said. This is a disaster. Why did we pull out of it? I mean, it's just, you know, yeah. so he's every bit as two-faced as she is. It was surprising, though, because I think ultimately taking the side of Kim Jong-un, uh, I mean, only Nancy Pelosi could do that, I think. I mean, so we can add for the week. In the last seven days, the Democrat Party has stood by Hamas, MS-13, and now Kim Jong-un. All, all three. <laughs> it's a trifecta in one week. <laughs> All three, and, and and they want to uh, uh, do away with the tax cut too. Right, you right. That. They got to yeah. do away with the tax cut, and they need to bring back the individual mandate, the wonderful thing that makes you pay money to the government for the. Free yep, they, they want the they want the Paris climate uh, deal to come back. Right, right. They, they want, want TTP. Yeah, yeah. It's, they want it's <laughs> the whole thing's disgusting. <laughs> so, yeah, but uh, so we're gonna be we're gonna be following this just like everyone else is, I'm sure. Um, I, there's one story that we're going to talk about Spygate. We're going to get into the DOJ cracking down on Bitcoin. We're going to cover that stuff. But there's a quick story I think we need to talk about because in lieu of all this North Korea news, I think it's going to be easy for a lot of folks to forget about this. This is huge. I'll start with the clip. Judge ruled that President Donald Trump violates the First Amendment when he blocks critics on Twitter for political speech. The U.S. District Judge Naomi Reese Buckwald said the president presents the at real Donald Trump account is being a presidential account as opposed to a personal account and more importantly uses the account to take actions that can be taken only by the president as president. She stops short in her written decision of ordering the president or a subordinate to stop the practice saying it was enough to point it out. Justice Department lawyers had argued that it was Trump's prerogative no different from the president deciding in a room filled with people not to listen to some the Justice Department did not immediately respond to a message. Matt Uris for CBS 11 News. So the big consequence of this ruling, in fact, is that the judge in her language ruled that Trump's Twitter account is a public forum. Now, this is what the alt-right, many of whom have been banned from Twitter, have been saying for a long time. Twitter's a public forum. You can't ban people. Right. This is what so they're going to have it. So they're going to play it both ways. So they're going to stop the shadow banning on conservatives because we all know that when Trump tweets something, that all the positive messages are suppressed, and all you see in in the initial response yeah. and the initial reply are nothing but you know people just trouncing him. Right. Right. So that's a good point. The judge can't say. I mean, her her contention is Twitter is a public forum, but only Trump's Twitter account. Anyone else, you do whatever you want, keep going business as usual. But but Trump's account, 
that's a public forum. Wait, but it's but it's not his presidential account. It's his personal account. Well, I don't like Trump, so it's a public forum. I mean, this is the kind of doublespeak that you see from these judges. Now, the DOJ said they're not going to enforce a ruling. It's too vague. Uh, so they're not going to force Trump to unblock anybody or anything like that or cease blocking people. Uh, but, I mean, really? You can't you can't block people on social media? That's that's the essence of this ruling. So, I mean, look, we can point out the doublespeak and we can say, all right, time to re- start reinstating the conservatives that were banned, time to bring back Milo. I don't think that's going to happen because the ruling is just too vague and the ruling's going to be appealed and, and ultimately quashed, I think. It just doesn't... <laughs> it, it, it's too it's too vague it's too it's too i'm just getting these uh these visions of trump going in there with the you know with the uh, block button he, he just having a grand old time yeah. blocked blocked fired fired you're fired and you know on the, on the left in fact i'm surprised they sued because hashtag blocked by trump if you've got that in your bio that's like a huge deal sure for leftists that's like their yeah you know, yeah a, i was blocked by trump yeah and in fact i've seen a few that say blocked by jacob wool and that's their it's, yeah, I'm like, yeah. OK, yeah. Um, so, you know, it's it's a really big deal on the left. You know, who sued actually was Columbia University Center for the Second Amendment or, you know, some some nonsense just shows how far left these universities are. It's, it's really remarkable that they're spending money on a lawsuit so frivolous as this when there's probably, you know, real civil rights uh, issues that they could take up to the court and spend their money on and spend their time on. Uh, but. Anyway, I just wanted to touch on that. We'll, we'll be watching what happens. It's, it's remarkable that the judge would come out with such a contradictory decision, that you get a contradictory decision of that magnitude out of any court. But sure. we need to get to Spygate. We've got a lot of new information on Spygate. Trump tweeted about the payments, first uncovered by myself and tweeted out, got, went viral. Now Trump's tweeting about it constantly, talking about the payments to Stefan Halper. And Michael Caputo, who was a Trump aide, is saying there was additional informants. We're going to get into that. But first, I think we should start with CNN, because watching them try to spin this has been just a a special, special thing to see. How they're trying to say, well, he was spied on. And Clapper says, yeah, he was spied on. I lied before. But we were just trying to protect him, and I'm not ashamed of spying on the Trump campaign. <laughs> oh, yes, yes. See, now they are admitting that, that they spied on him, but it was for his own good, right? <laughs> yeah, and they're calling me evil for exposing the confidential informant, Comey, saying, how are you going to explain this to your grandkids? I'll tell you how, with great pride. That's how I'm going to explain it. Give me a break. So here's Jake Tapper uh, going on an unhinged rant, trying to obfuscate and, and spin this, and he's struggling so hard. And honest to God, it's just you just have to hear it. It's lead today and President Trump pushing a brand new conspiracy theory, one seemingly a brand new conspiracy theory grounded more in suspicions and his desire for a counter narrative than it is based on established facts. Tweeting in one of his five tweets today on the subject of this confidential FBI source who spoke with at least three Trump campaign members in 2016, quote, Spygate could be one of the biggest political scandals in history. And this afternoon, the president went on to say this. All you have to do is look at the basics and you'll see. It looks like a very serious event. Is, is that, could he have said it any better? Yeah, just look at the basics. He sends yeah. the emails. He gets a quarter million dollars the next day. 
I couldn't have said it any better myself. Look at the basics. Well, we have looked at the basics. What we know is this. The FBI conducting a counterintelligence investigation in 2016 into whether Russians were trying to influence the election or just what they were up to sent a confidential FBI source to speak with members of the Trump campaign. U.S. officials tell CNN that that source was not planted within the campaign. He wasn't a campaign staffer as far as we know. But who ever said that he was a campaign staffer? No. Nobody ever said that he was a campaign staffer. What they're trying to do is they're trying to say that, well, yeah, we, we did have a spy in there, but we weren't spying on the campaign. They were there looking out for other stuff. Since we were, like, that's like saying, I wasn't hired by the Chinese government. That means it's impossible for me to spy on the Chinese government. What? Most of the time, a spy doesn't work for the respective person they're spying on. That's the whole point. But he goes on. You no, know, there's obviously a lot we don't know. But there's no evidence as of now that this was done for political purposes, as the president is alleging. We're told that the FBI was trying to figure out just what the Russians were up to and whether they were getting help from any Americans. Well, that's all. Just trying to figure out what the Russians were up to. Yeah, give me a break. You want us to believe that they paid this guy $400,000 just to figure out what the Russians were up to? And, and by the way, if you want to figure out what the Russians are up to, why don't you spy on the Russians? Right. <laughs> it's just it's well, you would think that you look if they were trying to find something out about the Russians, that they would uh, be colluding with the Trump campaign, saying, "Hey, look, we're going to put somebody in place here. We think that there's some funny business going on, yep. you know." And and so that they would know. Exactly. That's but, exactly but, how you do it. Yep. Yeah. Yep. It's like. But by doing it covertly, you know, now they have the opportunity to spy on everybody. And anything that's said, you know, or anything that they coerce. And actually, uh, they're in there trying to, in, in a way, um, uh, entrap the campaign people. Oh, exactly. You know, you talk about the Trump Tower meeting, Natalia Veselnitskaya, guess what? She wasn't even allowed to come into the United States until Obama specially ordered that she have a visa overnighted. They never do that. That Russian lawyer that met in Trump Tower, she was given a special visa overnighted to Russia so that she could make it into the United States and get into the U.S. and go to that meeting at Trump Tower and set it up and say, hey, you guys want to collude? You know, it's just give me a break. But, if you it, but, it, that's, but that's not even what the meeting was about. When they, when they got down to brass tacks, they were talking about um, some adoption it's ring adoption or some adoption laws that were preventing certain oligarchs from coming over to the United States. Right. It, it had nothing to do with anything, um, you know, Russian, you know, trading of secrets or colluding or anything like that. Yeah, wanted, but that's what they made it out to, to be. It, it's also to. confusing. Yeah. If you wanted to figure out what the Russians were up to, you'd go to Trump's campaign manager and you'd go to Hillary's campaign manager and we'd say, here's what we'd like you to do. We want to take over your email for a couple days. We're going to send some emails to some Russian spies. We're going to see if they're interested in influencing things and taking meetings. And then we're going to record the meetings. We just, we need your cooperation. Not a big deal. We just want to check it out. That's what right. you do. You wouldn't, but that's not what happened. Hillary's you don't do a, you don't do a covert operation no. and then insert somebody and then, no. No. then claim that you're doing it all for Trump's own protection. No. Hillary, campaign had no informants or spies at all when really she was the one that was obviously compromised bill clinton went over to russia a couple years before was paid five million dollars to do speaking her foundation took 
over a billion dollars from Russia, including 145 million from Russia days before she signed over 20% of the uranium to Russia, to a state-owned firm in Russia. So if you wanted to look for, you know, a person, like, again, it doesn't have to mean you're cracking down on an American, but if you wanted to launch an operation that would attract Russians, you'd want to do it through Hillary. But they didn't do any of that. So this whole concept, oh, we were just trying to protect him. Wouldn't you tell him, maybe? Wouldn't you tell him that uh, there was Russians involved? So let's talk about that claim of protecting the president. Well, you see, the fact that the FBI reimbursed Hillary's campaign $12.2 million for a salacious dossier that talked about him paying hookers to piss on a bed that Obama slept in one time? Would the FBI pay $12 million for a couple sheets of paper that said that if they were trying to protect him? I don't think so. I mean, this claim is so insanely backwards that it's hard to put it into words. I mean, it's really, really hard to put into words. And one thing that we've yet to discover, and I'm looking into it, I'm digging, I'm digging, I'm digging, I'm trying to talk to Caputo, I'm trying to get to the bottom of this, I'm trying to reach out, I want to leak this story, I want to get to it, I want to find out what's going on. Michael Caputo, who's a Trump aide, he's also an InfoWars guy, uh, he was stopped at the airport and interrogated, as was a guy named Ted Malik, who lives in the UK. He's an InfoWars contributor. They're trying to, Mueller's trying to get Alex Jones now arrested, trying to get Roger Stone arrested. Um, and I know that because why else would you subpoena Roger Stone's driver to a grand jury? Not just testimony, but a grand jury testimony, unless you're trying to indict Roger Stone. So they're trying to indict Roger Stone. They're trying to go after Alex Jones. Michael Caputo, though, said something very interesting in this interview with Laura Ingram. Michael, so you see a pattern here? Former Obama administration officials justifying, spying on, surveilling, whatever you want to call it, putting a mole in uh, on a on an opposing campaign and a hotly contested election year. Final, final thoughts. I'll tell you, you you've uh, spent time in Russia. Carter and I both have. In Russia, they call this, this Zolovaki the national security leadership that secretly spies on the entire uh, uh, citizenry of Russia. And here we are in the United States with our own Soloviki underneath uh, uh, President Obama. Let me tell you something that I know for a fact. The, this uh, informant, this person that they planted, tried to plant into the campaign and even into the administration, if you believe Axios, he's not the only person that came at the campaign. And the FBI is not the only Obama agency that came at the campaign. I know because they came at me. And I'm looking for clearance from my attorney to reveal this to the public. This is just the beginning. And I'll tell you, when we finally find out the truth about this, Director Clapper and the rest of them are going to be wearing some orange suits. (laughs) So he says there's another informant. Uh, I'll just tell you, I'm not, you know, some genius. All I do is I look at the records and I just start digging through federal records. I look at these people. I look at their networks. I map it out on Maltigo. I look at their Facebook. I, you know, look them up on databases and then I start running them through the database and then you notice payments. One thing we're looking into right now as we speak is Stefan Halper had set up all of these LLCs and trusts and corporations and I'm digging into those right now. I've got a hunch, and I've yet to confirm this, but I'm working on it, that there may have been much bigger payments that were paid out to him than just the ones that we see, and they may have been paid to these corporations and trusts. We're looking into that. Besides the the defense contracts? Yes, besides the defense contracts. So he's got dozens of different trusts 
dozens of different LLCs. And, you know, it would stand to reason that if you were doing some covert work, you wouldn't just have the money paid to your name. Uh, right. Would seem to it's like classic money laundering, only this is, yeah, it is, that's exactly what it is, classic money laundering. When you have all these LLCs and you try to create this sort of labyrinth, this web, and then pass things from one thing to another and create misdirection. You can't, you can't keep up with it. You know, just people right. just get lost. There's too many layers. Exactly right. So we're digging into that right now. I'm digging into trying to find out who this other informant was. We've got a couple of tips. I'm working to confirm it. And the other remarkable thing that we've learned is that Halper didn't stop after the campaign was over. He's working with Robert Mueller right now. He tried to, just after Mueller was hired, get a job in the White House. He shimmied his way in. Emails were sent. He emailed Carter Page. He emailed White House economic advisor Peter Navarro. He emailed a number of people trying to get into the White House, trying to make it into the White House to do some more spying and presumably take some more payments. And the other thing that's just fascinating to me is that two days after he sends an email to Carter Page trying to get a job in the White House, two days later, he gets another payment from the Department of Defense for $120,000. Jeez. So th this was 2017. This is while Trump is in the White House. So again, folks, this whole idea that the DOD's on Trump's side and the CIA's not and there's this internal battle of the bureaucracies looks to me like the DOD's hands are just as dirty in this as the CIA's. Wow. And maybe I'm wrong. Maybe this is just the way it works, but please tell me if I am. I've got an open mind as much as the next guy, but that's what it looks like to me. You just look at the money. You just follow the money, and that's what it looks like. So it's it's very, very, uh, you know, in, in my estimation, disturbing. And, uh, I mean, these people just operate outside the law. They don't care. They do not care what the law is. They do not care what the norms are. They will get what they want, and they'll stop everybody they want to in the meantime. But uh, I want to get to a lighter story here. We've got something to talk about. Do you know what uh, yesterday was in West Hollywood, Ernie? No, I don't. Yesterday was the first annual Stormy Daniels Day. That's right. Oh, it's a holiday in West Hollywood That's now. right. It's a holiday in West Hollywood. I've got a clip here from a local news station. You're going to love this one. Using for pictures in front of her $25 Team Stormy t-shirts, signing photos of herself. Yes, Stormy Daniels riding the wave. This an appearance inside an adult boutique called Chichi LaRue's in West Hollywood. Lines of people waited to meet her. I just think that you need to stand up for yourself, and this is the perfect person that's doing it. Stormy Daniels Day in the city of West Hollywood. That's right, Stormy Daniels Day in West Hollywood. Earlier, in a packed sidewalk ceremony, a beaming mayor gave this 39-year-old adult film star, also a married mom with a 7-year-old daughter, a key to the city. Everyone should be treated with dignity and fairness and decency. And this community has a history of standing up to bullies and speaking truth to power, and I'm so very, very lucky to be a part of it. She has had to bear the slings and arrows of attacks, not only from people all over this country, but from the most powerful person on the planet, and she's held her head up with dignity. Wait, that, that's where I have a Yes, yes, dignity, the woman who takes jizz on her chest. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Oh, my gosh. And, and he says that Trump, 
Trump bullied her? Trump has never in his life even said the word Stormy Daniels. He hasn't sent a tweet. He hasn't made a statement. He has never said the word Stormy Daniels. So where's this bullying from Trump that they're talking about? He hasn't even said her damn name. Yep. They call West Hollywood the creative city. Most found this amusing. Is that what they call it? No, I think they call it the gay city. But not all. A small number of Trump supporters were there, no problem. It's kind of a circus atmosphere, so if that's what she wants, she wants publicity to sell her t-shirts or something, that's fine with me. But Republican consultant Charles Moran said this was a cheap stunt by city leaders seeking publicity. The elected officials in West Hollywood have a very dubious past with issues concerning Me Too, with issues concerning sexual harassment, both gay and straight. Daniels was at all times guarded by two large men. She never took questions, never spoke to reporters. As for that lawsuit against President Trump, trying to void the confidentiality agreement over the one-night stand she says they had, well, a federal judge here in L.A. has put that on hold. Yeah, he's thrown it out because they've got no standing. She signed the document. That's that. And now they want to get out of it after they've already... Well, I, hey, hey, I got to hand it to her. You know, you got to make hay while the sun's shining, right? Right. Right. That's very But uh, what I what I don't get is what does the um, the mayor of West Hollywood get out of this? Is it just he's just looking to grandstand or oh, he yeah, just likes so the limelight? I, I don't know if you know about West Hollywood. I I previously lived in Los Angeles in the Hollywood Hills and my side of the street was Los Angeles. The other side of the street, people my next door neighbors, you know, across the street were in West Hollywood technically. The street was split in half. And West Hollywood is like uh, the gay capital of Southern California, um, kind of like the Castro district in uh, Los Angeles or in uh, San Francisco. Mm -hmm. So they're, you know, very far left, very uh, eccentric about it, very anti-Trump. Um, all of the sidewalks, the crosswalks rather, are painted rainbow colors. I mean, they're, they're you know, it's, it's a different kind of out there. And I don't mind. It's just they're very oh there. yeah you know it's, you can do whatever you want if that's your neighborhood hey yeah I'll, I, I could care less but um, you know so they, they that's that's their thing and I guess they wanted to take it politically to the next level the funniest part is the whole city of West Hollywood is like a couple of blocks it's not a big place they right. don't even have their own police department nothing the mayor gets paid like four hundred thousand dollars a year like every time holy crap have, yeah the, every time they have elections. That's more than the president. Yeah. Every time they have elections, <laughs> it's ultra competitive because it's the easiest job in the world for the money. So, I mean, right. people really run for mayor of West Hollywood and city councilman because they just pay. It's one of these cities, one of these fake cities where they, you know, they set up and then they just rob. They get their federal grants and they just they just rob the city's accounts dry. So, you know, it's like Stormy Daniels Day. And they did give her they gave her a, a physical uh, key to the city, a symbolic Big gold key to the city. Uh, and every year from here on is Stormy Daniels Day. Uh, wow. So, wow. I, it's just, it baffles me. And, and you notice the report. A small number of Trump supporters were there. It's just like, really? Yeah, uh -huh. just, yeah. who? So old. so old. Small number of Trump supporters. So, you know, I think really this story is starting to die. I think the legs are shrinking on this thing. And, you know, CNN's not talking about it as much. Uh, Michael Avenatti hasn't been on CNN ever since it broke that he was uh, he's being sought for like a $10 million tax evasion judgment. 
Uh, well, because it was so, such a confusing story. Every, everyone, you know, who doesn't really understand the whole idea of campaign finance and everything, and then Stormy Daniels, and you know, there's no real story there. You know, okay, so maybe he had an affair with her while he was married to Melania, or was it before? And that wasn't ever clear. And the whole story just isn't salacious enough. Right. That's the problem. The only reason they they were able to run it for so long, I think, is because. I guess they thought she had sex appeal, but I think she's a little bit gross. I mean, I just think she's kind of a well. Disgusting. I mean, she's not a bad-looking woman, but she's she's older. She's a milf. She's, I mean, yeah, yeah. And she's her her tone of voice is vile to me. It's like yeah, yeah you know, I'm I'm just over it. I'm over. It. I, I I think most people don't care. It's like it's, I don't want to see Porn Star Hour again tonight with Don Lemon. You know, it's just it got ridiculous. It was the excess of fake news. It was the the furthest on the fake news spectrum that I think you can go maybe outside of Russian collusion. So that story's wrapping up. I think this is maybe going to be the last we talk about it unless something else comes of it. It's kind of uh, I'm sad. winding down. No more, no more stormy fake news. Oh yeah. That's what it is. <laughs> so, you know, I do oh, barking Hillary. Jeez. Uh, we do need to talk about this Bitcoin thing. I've got a quick clip. It's like 30 seconds. I just want to get people up to speed and then we'll get into this. And this is more your area of expertise, Ernie. And sure. I want to congratulate you because yesterday you tweeted 50 billion market cap gone today. Get ready for the crash. I think you said maybe tomorrow you said just get ready for the crash is coming. Something like that. Retweeted yep. it. Sure enough, today, real bloodbath. In fact, Alexa, what's the price of Bitcoin? Seven thousand. Wow, that thing's pretty neat. Tells me what the price of Bitcoin is. Uh, so here's the clip. DOJ has now reportedly opened a criminal probe into the possibility that traders are manipulating the price of Bitcoin and other cryptocurrencies. It's coming according to Bloomberg. The report investigation deals with the practice of what's called spoofing. Now, that's when an investor places orders that are intended to manipulate the price of an instrument, then flooding the market with fake orders. The price of Bitcoin at this hour, take a look, you're watching it, uh, literally dropped this morning about Ooh. 4%. Ooh. We're down to about $7,300, uh, give or take, where you want to buy it from uh, right about now, Seven but uh, the pressure on that, uh, I don't know if you want to call it a currency or commodity or whatever you want to call it, uh, that's what's going on this morning. That was maybe the worst explanation of spoofing I've ever heard. Ernie, maybe you can elucidate it for people. So that well, first of all, you know, spoofing is just a great word to put out there because it sounds, you know, like like they're, it's illicit, right? Yeah. But that's that's hardly what's going on. But there is there is collusion and there is manipulation. Uh, the the real the real thing that they need to look into is whether or not the exchanges, the unregulated exchanges, are actually using their funds to to manipulate price. Because essentially, what's happening, you know, Bitcoin has been coming down because if you look at the overall narrative, most people are down on Bitcoin. It's if you were to go to like Google Trends and just do a, a search on the term, you can see plainly it's it's just lost interest with most people, and and this is hurting a lot of people. And and there's a lot of people in this industry that have made billions, even tens of billions of dollars, and they're hurting big time. And there's so many others that have made literally millions. I mean, teenagers have even made millions. And they're all hurting because Bitcoin now is coming down. All, all of their wealth is just disappearing. 
And uh, these exchanges, some of these exchanges are are doing. I mean, I mean, they're huge. Some of them are actually bigger than J.P. Morgan in in market cap, if you if you could believe that. And they are. The, their lifeblood is commissions, you know, so people that are actually trading and, and right now people are trading. So what they're trying to do is they try to juice the market and, and, uh, you know, like give the impression that there are more people coming in to the market than, than there are actually, there's nobody coming in. It's all rehashed, uh, uh, investors. And, and so people get, uh, involved, they see the, the market going up and they're all getting excited again because they, you know, they still have, uh, the, the visions of the bubble and they everyone thinks that they're going to then, you know, make their thousand percent return and they're going to be able to go out and buy their Lambos and hose. Yeah. And, and, uh, and, and then it gets, uh, bid up to a certain price and then it crashes. And it's just a, a, a cycle over and over bid up, pump it up. Push it down, pump it up, push it down, and that's what's happening. Right. And we're in one of those uh, cycles right now. As a matter of fact, uh, as you said, I had called that we're going to be crashing down, or at least temporarily. And I'm calling for another crash in July for another reason. And price came all the way down uh, about 16 or 17 percent, and then just when it hit around 7100, which was the bottom that I, I felt that we were going to hit, it got pumped up again. And this isn't just any normal pump. We're talking about literally five, ten billion dollars being pumped into the market yeah. all within the space of a, about two or three minutes. So it's not it's not as if all of a sudden all the traders around the world just had a simultaneous epiphany and they had to hit the buy button. Right. No. And, no. This this is a few whales and, and exchanges that are going in there trying to manipulate the price up and get people uh, interested and start churning it again so that they can then collect their money. And the mechanics of spoofing, just and I can explain it very simply for people that don't sure. quite catch on. Uh, this was an old technique used very often, like in gold futures. Uh, it's used in really all markets. Used to be a big thing with futures traders, and the DOJ started cracking down on it. They've indicted several people. People have done jail time for this. Okay, technically the legal definition of spoofing is placing any order which you don't intend to execute. Now. If you place one order by accident and you don't execute it, you're not in any kind of trouble. But what the way that this actually works is people will go in and let's say it's a low volume hour of the night and gold futures are just kind of hanging out. They will go in and they will uh, essentially offer to buy gold futures above the market price, above yeah. the market price of where it's trading. And all the robots that are liquidity robots that just fill orders, that's how they make their money, they say... Oh, look at this idiot. He's willing to buy for above the market price. I'll sell to him. And just before they're able to sell, boom, they pull the order. So what happens? Yeah. There's all these sell there's there's all these people looking to sell. Guess what happens? It moves the market down a couple of ticks because there's so much sell volume. Well, guess what? That person who placed that order a few minutes earlier, he had actually established a net short position which he covers for a couple of ticks. And you don't do this by hand. I mean, maybe you could 10 years ago, 15 years ago. You do it with a robot. You set it up on 30, 40 different markets, and you just do it over and over and over again. Huge size, you can't, or as much size as you can move in the middle of the night, and you take a couple of ticks here, a couple of ticks there, and that's what spoofing is. It's placed Oh, it, but it's so blatant. You know, I'm watching the biggest exchange as we speak, Jacob. It's called uh, BitMEX. And uh, there's this one bot or some kind of uh, mechanism out there 
that uh, is continually putting buy orders in like three billion dollars. You know, it'll it'll appear about uh, maybe five dollars below the price. And then it will jump up to $2 below the price. Then it'll go back down to $10 below the price. And and it will appear over and over. And then the, then that's just one of them. And, and then you'll see another one come in and put in an order for maybe a billion dollars. And this that's huge money. But they, they come and they go. Now, I just watched one, one instance here where there was a whole series of buys that came in uh, like every $5. And then it disappears. It's, it's there and then it's gone. Yep. And the thing and it, is, it's because, happening all the time because, you know, so I mentioned you have to do it in the middle of the night because it's got to be kind of a thin market. It can't be a market that's got genuine movement up and down on fundamentals because you're just middle of the night. Politics. It's it's 530 but, East but, Coast time right now. No, it's no, happening as I'm speaking, as I'm speaking. <laughs> but, but with Bitcoin, the difference is with other markets, that's what you have to do. But with Bitcoin, the unique thing is Bitcoin is thinly traded and erratic and volatile all the time. So rather right. than just taking a couple ticks, these guys are able to really manipulate and really get some juice out of it. I mean, they'll do a technique called painting the tape, which we've talked about, where they buy and sell from each other at higher and higher prices to move the price up to appreciate their net long position that they've got in inventory. Or the, I don't even think one. it's from each other. I think it's like the same person with just two different could, accounts. Could be. Right. Could be. Um, so, you know, they, they'll get that going. It's called painting the tape. And you can't do these things, let's say, painting the tape or at least not for very long or, or, or with very much success, and let's say crude oil. It's just too big a market. Your couple of billion dollars, not really exciting. But because Bitcoin's so erratic and so crazy and because people will actually come in behind you and follow you as you paint the tape and push you even further than you wanted to ever go or you ever thought you could go, well, it makes it even more appealing to market manipulators. So that's the mechanics of this. Now, DOJ investigating, I, I think that's a real harbinger of, of bad news because the DOJ is not the CFTC, okay? The DOJ uses much more heavy-handed tactics. For instance, the CFTC cannot get a search warrant. They just can't. They want a search warrant, they've got to refer it out to DOJ. They can do a subpoena. They can do a voluntary document request. They can do a uh, under oath testimony. Or, for instance, CFTC, FCC. Go in, you're under oath, you talk to them. You lie. They can't handcuff you and arrest you. They don't carry handcuffs. They don't have guns. They have to refer it out. But the DOJ can do all of that. And remember, DOJ means FBI, as I'm sure everyone has learned over the past couple of years here. So the FBI is on Bitcoin. The DOJ is on Bitcoin. I've been telling, telling people for about a year now that the FBI was setting up, and I got this from my sources, just a couple of buddies I have at the FBI. The FBI is setting up whole divisions of cryptographers and cryptocurrency experts to start cracking down on this kind of stuff and just taking out low-hanging fruit. So, Ernie, what, what do you think this means? I mean, what beyond just the sentiment and the trading action, oh, DOJ, that's bad, let's sell off. I mean, in real terms, what, what's this going to result in, you think? Probably not a lot because, first of all, there's only so many exchanges in the U.S. and those are the only ones that they'll have jurisdiction over. So they'll have things like uh, uh, GDAX, which is actually behind Coinbase, and um, Bitquick. And Gem Gemini is a big one because they're actually behind the CBOE futures. Right. Uh, and that's also the Winklevoss twins that own that. Uh, Bitstamp and Kraken are some of the other big ones. But the biggest ones are offshore. And so th there's nothing they can do about that. And it's some of them are decentralized. There's just this literally 
no company to go after. So uh, they're going to have limited success. But what it will do is just the the optics of it, of now the DOJ is coming down on it and there's going to be regulation around it. And people are, are looking at this and saying, man, do I want to invest in Bitcoin? It's while, you know, while all of this activity is happening. And that's what it does. It, it basically scares off the uh, the people that they need to flood into this market. I mean, we remember back last year, late last year, when uh, Coinbase was talking about bringing in 100,000 new people every day. Well, you don't hear those uh, those claims anymore. Yeah. They might be bringing in a few thousand a day now. So everything has kind of just dried up. And that's why price is coming down. Because if you don't have a constant supply of people uh, diving into this market, it's not going anywhere. It's just going to keep on collapsing. Right. Now, we have um, uh, the G20 summit that, that that we had just recently in, what was it, Argentina? And uh, uh, there was some talk there about regulation and uh, some soft talk. And most of the Bitcoin and crypto universe, they thought that that was kind of positive, which it wasn't. I mean, it was basically saying, we're not sure how we're going to regulate, but we're going to regulate. But since since then, it's kind of sunk in that, hey, maybe that is kind of negative. And now they're talking about uh, July uh, coming out with some ideas on how they're going to actually regulate. And I think that what's ha- what you're seeing now is prices slowly going down with uh, you know, with the idea that maybe this isn't going to be so good for the for the crypto uh, verse. And then when July finally does come and that news is released, uh, I think what you're going to see is a major crash in cryptocurrencies and in Bitcoin. And that's actually a good thing, I think, for the overall industry. Not so good for some of the people that have invested right. so much money. Right. They've but the farm, mortgage their house. Who knows? I mean. Oh, I have customers that have. They, they've actually taken their life savings or organi- mortgage their house. And they asked me, what should I do? I said, well, sell. <laughs> yeah. Just get out of it. Yeah, get some cash back while you still can. I mean, that's the, yeah. that's the thing. You know what I think the other side effect is on this that I'm kind of going to be watching out for too, thinking about it is there is no bigger offender of spoofing laws than the big banks. I mean, the big banks are famous. Famous for oh, spoofing. Sure. I mean, they're, they're the top spoofers. And they're also under the biggest microscope when it comes to spoofing by the DOJ. Every time you hear about somebody getting arrested for spoofing, 95% of the time, somebody who works at a big bank. That's what happens. So I think what the sort of a side effect of this is going to be is the big banks are going to say, uh, DOJ, FBI looking into this now. I'm not saying they're going to get out of crypto. I'm just saying this, this brings a whole new element of, and they had to know it was coming. I mean, they're not dumb. They're very smart, in fact. But I think this is going to introduce a just another level of fear and hesitation for the big banks to start going in heavy to the crypto world in one capacity or another. Well, in, in a, they're already in it for sure. Uh, they are at, a, at the very least, they have their own crypto experts there that are keeping tabs of the market and gaining an understanding of what's going on. But there's no opportunity for them. There, you know, Goldman Sachs was talking about creating a trading desk for for their customers, and and quite frankly, they're not looking to invest in cryptocurrencies because there's it's all shit coins to tell you the truth. Bitcoin might have some utility to it, or some uh, volatility, or some opportunity, but but even that, I mean, it's, it's so they can't they can't it's justify so putting it in any of their funds. It's so illiquid. I mean, like again, folks, take a hundred dollars. Go try to trade some Bitcoin. 
and let me know how it goes. It's not easy. I mean, no. I'm, I'm not even talking about making money. I'm just talking about getting an order done. Just, just try to get it done. It's not easy. It is not easy. Now, well, I mean, it's, it's it can happen. It can happen, it's but it's it's just, just it's just that you have you, that hundred dollars could um, could vanish, you know, in in no time. Right, and you could have eighty by the time you even get into a position with the way that the that's right. Are. I mean, it, so the liquidity is challenging. It's a real challenge, and again, we're not anti-crypto. In fact, we're just the opposite. I don't hate cryptocurrency. I love the idea. I think it's great. We're just trying to be realistic here. You see, but the problem with the crypto world is you talk about upsides, you're A-OK, you're great, they love you. You talk about downsides, even if you're talking about upsides too, they hate you. <laughs> it's like you don't know what you're talking about. You're a shill for the Federal Reserve. You're a Zionist Jewish banker. I mean, it's like you know, stuff you get, it's wacky. Uh, well, what a, and what a lot of people don't know is that I'm a I'm a victim of uh, some of those those crypto maniacs out there. I had my ide- identity stolen for the f- uh, express purpose of destroying my YouTube channel, which they did. They deleted it, and uh, that's because I I tend to be a critic of of the industry, and uh, so that's that that's been uh, a real blow to me. I mean, that was the other day. I said, hey, things aren't so aren't so good. That was part of it. Yeah. Uh, so, what's the status of that? Are, are you think we're going to be able to recover that channel, or uh, just to update the the listeners? Well, I, I did get some feedback from YouTube, and they said that they're working on it. Uh, but in the meantime, I've uh, contacted the FCC, the FBI, uh, and uh, they they've all taken my they're taking my case on too. I mean, identity identity theft is pretty big stuff, and this was through AT and T, and so AT and T they're they're very nice to me right now, by the way. I bet. Uh, we're going to keep everybody updated on that. But, you know, in the meantime, if you're not following Ernie, you're, you're screwing up. Go follow at Trader of Futures. It's the same thing on YouTube, right? Still the same thing, Trader of Futures on YouTube. Yeah. Yep. Um, you know, and, and virtually every other platform. And uh, JuntoCoin.com, that's still the site, right? Yeah. Junto, JuntoCoin.com, uh, if you're interested in learning more uh, about a cryptocurrency that is not... Uh, simply based on thin air. It's based on silver and precious metals. So that's another uh, good. Well, I'm 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 putting that on hold until we get some clarity around this regulatory stuff. Because unlike most of the other crap coins that are out there, I actually want to do it legally. Right. Right. So you know, right now it's educational purposes only. We'll say. But, that's that's correct. Yeah. Okay. Great. Yeah. So anyway, folks, it's been a wonderful show. It's been great to have you. I think we've covered a lot of ground. We've got a lot coming up. We don't know what's going to happen with North Korea. Are they going to do a missile test? Are they not? If they do, I'll probably come on live and do an emergency broadcast or an emergency podcast of some kind. In the meantime, make sure you subscribe. Check out thewashingtonreporter.com. Spread the articles. Spread the links. Spread the show. Subscribe uh, and share it with your friends. And we'll keep growing it. We'll keep spreading the truth. We'll keep exposing the deep state coup masters and their lackeys in the mainstream media and keep spreading the truth to every single one of you and to people that don't maybe want to hear the truth sometimes. So keep tuning in. I'm Jacob Wool. Ernie Veritimos is here as well every Monday and Thursday. We'll see you on Monday. Thanks for listening.